Most people would know our next guest, Alastair Nicholson, by voice. ABC Grandstand's main man is synonymous with sport across the country, and having played footy with him at university, we thought he was the perfect antidote needed to frame the discussion around the pertinent question, does Tassie deserve an AFL team? Alistair grew up in Penguin on the northwest coast of Tassie, where he dreamed about one day becoming a sports broadcaster before studying journalism at the University of Tasmania in Hobart. His career in journalism began with Win TV and later moved to the ABC where he helped prepare the evening news broadcast. Moving into his passion of sport by commentating the VFL, this developed into yacht racing, cricket and hockey broadcasts for the ABC in Hobart on top of his normal duties before he transitioned to ABC Grandstand as a Brisbane-based commentator. His versatility has been most on show during the ABC's Olympic and Commonwealth Games coverage where he has been called upon to commentate a variety of sports including cycling, hockey, triathlon, rugby sevens, water polo, equestrian and more. So, let's get stuck into footy, life and kids books with Alastair Albie Nicholson in a wing exclusive. Grandstand News legend. G'day, Worm. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm well. How are you? Yeah, good, good. Now, mate, you're here with uh, myself and Wildus and Tubes. How's that for a Albie, how are you, panel? mate? <laughs> what a crew, hey? Well, you, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you, this crew? you complete the, the uh, four-way, mate. I thought I was just speaking to Wildus and Worm tonight, so Tubes, it's a, it is a great honour <laughs> to know that. Oh, mate, don't start, Albie. Don't start, Albie. part of it. You should have seen how rapidly he came up the highway today once we dropped your name. I was like the roadrunner going up there, mimip, and uh, got straight up here as quick as I could, Albie, when I heard your name th- bandied about as the special guest I was up here, mate. But what a treat to have you at Way Out on the Wing. It's great to be with you guys. Mate, it's um, going well. It's, it's going all right. We, um, you're, you're up there with our greatest guest, uh, guests, guests, I'm nervous, guests in uh, episode six. We've had big Jackson Callow. He was great to uh, great to chat to, the big fella. But, mate, we actually all sat here before um, before we started talking and we all agreed. We're like, how good does Albie have it as a career? Like, mate, what you are doing, we are all so envious of. It's just awesome. Do, so, you, re- do you recognise that? Oh, it's definitely a privilege. It really is. And um, I didn't expect to get the opportunity to do it for a second. I feel like I've been very lucky to get those the chances that I've had. And you do. You definitely pinch yourself. When I go out the door on a Friday and know you're going to the MCG to call a game of footy, it's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love what I get to do. So I don't, I'd never get complacent doing it. It is a real treat and, and it is such a hard thing to, to crack into um, and get these opportunities. You, you never take it for granted, lads. I think one of the things that people probably understate, Albie, is how hard you've worked to get where you are, mate. Um, did you ever think when you were a young teenage boy running through the hallways at Morris Regional College? The on, Academy. The Academy. <laughs> that you'd is this something that you aspired to be or is it just something that you found later on in life? I think don't think that's something I thought I was capable of doing and certainly don't think it was something that my teachers thought I was capable of doing either, Tubes, <laughs> as you would well know. But um, we grew up listening to the radio. So my brother and I, my middle brother Pete and I, would listen to the footy every weekend and living on the northwest coast, you got a clear signal of 774's frequency so we could listen to the VFL every weekend and it was always on. My dad had one of those old leather-bound transistors so whenever we were out in the garden we'd be listening or if we are in the car coming back from junior sport that could have been champions would be on and so it was a constant ABC radio for me. I loved it and I connected with it but I had absolutely zero idea how you would ever go from a little town 
on the northwest coast of Tassie to call footy in the commentary box. So it was just a, a progression through a series of events, going to university, doing journalism by random. It was the first year they offered a journalism course at the University of Tassie and I slipped into that not really knowing what I wanted to do. I thought I'd be a greenkeeper or a, a carpenter or something, but my mum and dad sort of nudged me in a bit of a different direction and sent me off to uni in Hobart. So, um, so Albie, got a- sorry, mate, just to cut you off, because I, I, I want to cover it all off, and I'd love to cover it off in um, chronological order. And we, we could probably sit here, the four of us, and talk forever, um, and it'd probably be a long interview, this one, because I want to find <laughs> out all about it. And I'm sure a lot of people out there, you know, see what you're doing, um, and would go, oh, how good's this? You know, how good's this job? You're on offsiders. You're in the commentary at the at the Olympics. You're sitting there watching footy. Um, so let we'll get to all that stuff. But just so you know, everyone that doesn't know you as well as we do, grew up on the northwest coast in the uh, little old town of Penguin. Um, yep. And were you, you know, like we're a local footy podcast. Were you, were you playing junior footy? I know you love your cricket. What were you doing up there? Was it as I suppose, you know, like us, you're 40 years of age. Um, back then, it wasn't basketball, tennis, soccer, futsal. It was everything. It was just basket, uh, cricket and cricket and footy. Is that what you did growing up? Absolutely, Worm. That's exactly what it was. And um, we had a, a paddock out the back of our house. We grew up on three quarters of an acre in Penguin up on the hill. And we had paddocks out the back where a four-lane highway now goes through. They cut a huge cavity out of there. But we were just, the minute we got up in the morning on the weekend in summer, it was ring around, see who could get up there. And Russell Robertson was my middle brother's best mate. So he'd be around playing cricket. We'd assemble all the kids in the street and you'd just play all day. And my mum would have everyone up for lunch. It was just a, that's what you did um, in regional areas, you know sport was such a, an intrinsic part of your, your childhood and the community sporting clubs as well were a key part of it so the penguin cricket club a very key part of my upbringing um the penguin football club mini league my dad was from cornwall didn't know a lot about football but got the job of coaching the bulldogs he said he'd coach mini league as long as he could coach the bulldogs because he latched onto them when he emigrated out here and we were playing mini league i saw a photo the other day um, my brother sent through that he'd found in an old collection and russell's in there and jason ling's in there who played with, with tazzy in the vfl and the mariners as well and was a very gifted player so yeah, we'd go and play mini league one day or one weekend at Penguin and then the next weekend up at Ryanna, which was just a small farming town. So that's all we knew. And it was almost what defined you, um, whether you could play footy or, or hold yourself um, with a cricket bat against a good opposition. They were sort of the, the key things that you wanted to be able to do when you were a kid. So the Penguin 2 Blues are very close to your heart, Albie. Um, and, you, and you talk about those little communities on the northwest coast. Ryanna, you mentioned I played cricket up there. I played footy at Ryanna as well uh, at uh, Penguin Two in the Two Blues colours. But that whole northwest coast now is is a massive part of the Tassie footy landscape. Why do you think footy that part of the state has created so many great players? of not just AFL, VFL history, but also the local communities? It's it's such a good question, Tubes, because per capita, um, they have produced a lot, haven't they, over the years? I think there, there was just such a focus on it. So as I say, like as a youngster coming through, if you went to Penguin High School, and, and I had one year there, I went to the Penguin Primary School, and then after one year at high school, went off to, to Marist with you. But that's what we did. It was all all about the footy, and you'd go and watch Penguin play on the weekend. So, And a lot of the dads in the community have played for the Penguin Footy Club. So your mates, um, parents or, or fathers had, had played for the club, and some of them were premiership players. It was just, it made, it was the the Penguin Footy Ground in particular to me, it was a drop putt away from the main street. So it was actually the, the heart and soul of the town back in those days as well. So, and I think that was reflected right across the Northwest Coast and the idea that, you know, 
the area that had a smaller population was able to compete on the big stage um, against some of the, the other clubs around the place was a source of pride. So it was just very intrinsically um, embedded, in, I think, in the psychology of, of the whole area. Now, I mean, would you would you have said that as a kid you um, commentated games or would you stand in a, in a forward pocket or something and see the ball come down the wing and <laughs> commentate to your direct opponent or something? Or was that something that came later uh, with the with the journalism de- degree and the linguistics and all the sort of stuff that we don't do here, you learnt um, sort of onwards and upwards. It was definitely something I did in the backyard. Um, when my brothers were older, I'd get home from school and play imaginary games of footy in the backyard, like I'm sure many kids did. And I backed for Carlton as a kid. My favourite player was David Reese Jones, and I wanted a you know a blonde mullet, but I had a curly mop of brown hair, and it didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to in that regard. But you'd play games in the backyard, and com- I would commentate the game. As silly as it sounds, that's what you used to do. So if Carlton was playing St Kilda, it would be, you know, Kernahan and Silvani dominating and Peter Dean and all those players. But you might give a token goal to a Stuart Lowe or a Nathan Burke or a Tony Lockett, but it was predominantly Carlton. But you would. I'd run around and call the game myself. But even then, I didn't have any vision or sense of the path. It just seemed a million miles away that you could, as much as I heard it every weekend, it, it felt so far, so distant, um, that commentary box at the MCG. So, Albie, you went to, you, you said you went up to Marist, up in Burning. Did you play You play footy and cricket there, like first 11? Um, who'd you play with? Who'd you play against? You mentioned Robbo, but you would have played against the uh, the other uh, private schools back then. So yeah, did you, we did. You play against Greeny. Who'd you who'd you compete against? We mate? did. I remember vividly playing against Brad Green because he'd just come out on the lead. I think he parked himself at par forward and just would come out on the lead and kick goals from forty five meters out. You didn't missing. you didn't ever drop in the hole in front of him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he he didn't strike me in those days. This might sound silly. I wasn't he wasn't a player I feared necessarily from a physical standpoint. But you knew if you got the ball that there was only one result. It was either going to be put down the throat of a teammate, or he would slot them from positions that no one else could. I think um, I think he kicked eighteen on his debut from centre half back for school. It, it was ridiculous. No, 12. 12, 12, was 12. it? Yeah, just not, completely not classy. Effort. Yeah, But Grammar had a lot of good players in those days. I remember playing against Tom Gregg, who played a bit of footy with Glenorchy. He was a very good footballer back Brian in those Finch. days. Brian so, Finch. Yeah, absolutely. We were we were absolute battlers in our um, year, year at level at, at Marist um, at that time. In fact, we only won one game for the season. That was against Scotch Oakburn. And my, one of my best mates, Brett Porter, who was a little bit mouthy, I'd had a few issues with the umpiring during the day and perhaps a couple of moments of a lack of discipline but We've all been Porter here, may have said something that uh, resulted in the umpire turning around and me being sent off the ground so the <laughs> only time I have a, I have we a pretty... got to sing the song for the whole season I was apologising to one of the fathers for a crime I didn't commit so I've never forgiven <laughs> I'm pretty sure that. I was playing in that game Brett, <laughs> Brett, Brett Porter number uh, redhead number four yes yes <laughs> you, you know he's out there there's no doubt yeah, about very that. true very true Now, we don't want to interrupt for too long, but we need your help in spreading the word about Tassie's best football podcast, Way Out on the Wing. Subscribing to the podcast channel is definitely going to help us out a fair bit and then make this whole exercise go for an eternity, not just the two or three episodes. Uh, And you've got to remember, we're doing this for you, the local footy community, and we want you on board for the ride. So... Go on, hit the like button, give us a follow on any of the social media platforms, tell your teammates, your coaches, interrupt them during three-quarter time address to say, follow way out in the wing, get your friends, family, and get on board. In fact, get your mum to listen, and we'll give her a shout-out. We love all the hard-working footy mums out there, so make sure you listen, subscribe, and like way out on the wing.
So, yeah. mate, you went yeah. from you went from Marist, and then you headed down to uni uh, in Hobart, the Big Smoke. What was the biggest change for you coming from little old Penguin on the northwest coast down to Hobart? How was college life? Um, mate, it was you know, crazy. How was that, all, yeah. all of that? I vividly remember a small box I was given when my best mate Tom Burton and I lived together. Um, he grew up in Penguin as well. His parents ran the news agency there. and um, My mum gave me a box as I walked out the door. I just turned 18. It had a pot and a bit of pasta and stuff in it. And she's literally, as we walk out the door, explaining to me how to make spaghetti bolognese. So I'm one of three brothers and we weren't overly domestic um not that way inclined so there was a fair bit to learn boys a fair bit to learn and very quickly and i wouldn't have said i was the most studious type either so that was um it was a bit of a reality check when i got to university and obviously my parents are forking out to um extend my education and it took me a little while but i eventually latched onto the idea that you needed to do a bit of work and attend a few classes and by the end of my uni experience i've done okay you've mentioned some big names there brett porter and a few of the others boy none Birdo, bigger no, as well a couple of the, <laughs> a couple of the guys that you know, I think I'm three years younger than the new Albion, and we as grade nines used to look up to you guys in in grade twelve and think, "Geez, they're, geez, they're the legends of of the Marist Regional College." <laughs> and you say, like, we we were battlers up there at Marist. You weren't aiming I, too high, Chief. No, no, well, I still do. I still think of you as my heroes. And uh, but you, you did come down to uni, and, and like like I said before, mate, I think people understate how hard you've actually worked to get where you are. You played footy at the uni Rainbows as well. One of those yes, clubs that yeah. uh, that's pretty synonymous with the Northwest Coast. There's quite a few. I, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, one of the teachers at Marist College said, you've got to go down and look for Farmer Bill. Is that how you got to the Rainbows or was it just because <laughs> you were uh, you were at uni so you thought you'd play at uni? Because you yeah, could have pl- played at some, some of the bigger clubs. Well, I'd had a year at, uh, in the under-18s at Burnie the year before and I was still young enough to play in the State League, but I just probably wasn't focused. In hindsight, I wish I had that year in the State League. I think it would have helped me maintain a greater level of discipline. But uni was, um, it was so social, wasn't it? That was the beauty of it. And I remember Jake Gardner was playing there at the time um, <laughs> and he would take me along to a few games. So, But I learned very quickly that there was a difference between school footy where you could push and shove and mouth off and be a tough guy and then you come up against Lindisfarne playing at university and Lindisfarne is not really Lindisfarne, it's just the Bridgewater team that had folded and there are a few blokes who want to knuckle someone who's deemed to be a, you know, a, a book reader and a, a studious type because they go to university, oh. which was vastly unfair. I, was, I probably did less schoolwork than half the opposition, but um, I still got a nice introduction to playing against blokes when the Ruckman first headbutted me, and I responded to that by suggesting he hadn't really headbutted me overly hard, and then he <laughs> followed up with a nice roundhouse right that let me know that he had a bit more in his armoury. <laughs> I, I remember those days, Albie. I ran out as a 19-year-old for uni, I only started playing footy when I was that that year, and ran out against uh, Dosa with Matt and Rick Honey. Oh, and uh, oh. oh my God, they they shin- sent shivers down my spine just I, playing I, those boys. I still think of Matt Honey and and like get scared. Yeah. The other one was Anthony Cole. He was playing yeah. at OHA. Yeah, yep. and he was a Clarence That's champion, right. yeah. and he he dropped back to the old scholars and. And I remember one of my mates got absolutely folded in half. He just turned him into origami and just sent him on his way. It was unbelievable. Anthony some of those... Cole was such a good kick. Oh, he would just left, launch left the ball foot. in from fullback. Absolutely Tanned, beautiful. Left foot. Yeah. 
Albie, did you start, as well as obviously playing at uni and stuff down there, did you start, um, where did you start the commentary component during your degree and things? Was that um, directly with ABC or with um, a local radio station or something? It wasn't until I, I got there um, to the ABC, Wilders, to be honest. I, I was very lucky to get a job straight out of university. I was studying for my last set of exams and everything I ever handed in for journalism was related to sport and in television had us for a junior sports reporter and they rang the university and asked if there was anyone suitable I was recommended and in all honesty I there's no way I had the confidence to go into radio or television there's no, absolutely no way I wanted to do it I wanted to get a cadetship at the age or the Herald Sun and I was going through that process at the same time I thought if I don't have a crack at this I could work for a newspaper for years before I actually gave a sniff of a look at, at sports so I thought just have a crack and see how you go. And I was horrendous when I first started as a journo on TV. And they threw me into reading the sport on the news pretty quickly, as way before I should have been doing it. I, yeah, look back on that now and think it was. I don't. Know is that a is that, that a classic? I'm glad it did. Is that a classic sink or swim moment though? Totally, mate. I would read a two line intro to a story before the news package would roll up, and I'd literally be head down on the desk with my heart going 200 beats a minute, and my eyes looking like I've just seen a ghost, and my hair going everywhere. And not able to tie a tie but in hindsight I think it was that experience the sink or swim as you say that sort of shook me out of my comfort zone a little bit but after a few years I got a job at the ABC in the newsroom and they were thankfully still doing some live sport which is um, even when I think back about that now like the ABC used to do a lot of local sport on television which we don't do anymore and I was just lucky that I came through at the right time while that was still happening. And um, maybe those experiences when I was a kid, loving commentary, practising on my own, a couple of opportunities opened up and I, I was able to, to take them. So, um, But it's, a, it's funny the sort of, yeah, the way it works out. Had, had the ABC been in the position that it is now, not doing hockey, not doing VFL matches as we were back in those days, I'm not sure I would have got the opportunity to show that I had a bit of an aptitude for it. No, I, I think you're right, Albie, and, and I can tell you, honestly, as someone that aspires to, to, to go and call footy and whatever, but seeing you on the on the TV as a as an ex-Maris boy on that TV, like, honestly, I was like, is this for real? Is that actually Albie Nicholson that's on the telly? Because you were a larrikin, you, were, you, you knew how to have a bit of fun, and you still are, I know, but... Like you, you, honestly, if they had have said Albie's going to end up on Win News or ABC or doing that back when you were at school, people would have laughed, wouldn't they? But one teacher in particular, I used to think of, Tubes, Mrs. Ganina, Ganinan, <laughs> bless her soul. She she rode me very, very hard, and I vividly remember one day in the corridor. Uh, she was the year twelve coordinator, and she just said to me, Alistair Nicholson, what on? earth are you ever going to do with your life and i said mrs ganina i'm going to become a teacher so i can sit next to you in the staff room every day <laughs> and she told me she didn't think that would be a very wise idea so the idea that mrs ganina might have seen me doing that sort of had a little bit of appeal in those days as well but um yeah i, I in hindsight tubes i should have worked a lot harder at school and i should have yes it was fine to have some fun and, and to be a bit mischievous but i probably didn't get the best out of myself to are be you, honest are you only saying that because you have children now and they could be listening we'll, uh, we'll be a, listening there's a vault tubes there is a vault of stories from that period of my life with a lock and key like, <laughs> well this is what we this is what we're here tonight <laughs> and, for and this is and where we're getting this is where stuff. we're working into <laughs> I've got nothing, boys. <laughs> Actually, Albie, I, I went to um, I went, my my younger brother went to school with Tommy Davidson, and he says the same story about. I, I, I 
should have um, thought about this before I started talking right here and now. But <laughs> one, his, his, one of his teachers said, you know, you're going to do nothing in your life and whatnot and, you know, you're not going to be an AFL player, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, obviously, like you, you know, you prove them wrong if you've really got that will to, to want to do something. So, but mate, moving back to you, you, you then, you finished with ABC and then in about 2010, 2011, you got opportunity of a lifetime for you. ABC Grandstand. Tell us uh, how that came about. Um, I think you were were you married were, were you and Neil married then or not? But yeah, we how were. did that come yeah. about and and you know how did the move go? So Jerry Collins, who'd been a long-standing ABC broadcaster, that we didn't hear him calling footy down in the south because he was in the northern market calling rugby league, but a lot of Bledisloe Cups and rugby league matches, Brisbane Broncos, and the voice of swimming on the ABC. So he called all those iconic swimming races from the games back in the day with, you know, you think of those great moments, Kieran Perkins in Atlanta, that kind of thing. That was Jerry Collins doing it. So he retired um, and an opportunity came up. I applied for it. I was working in the ABC at the time and, and managed to get that position and it was a significant move as much as it was my passion to get into it it just felt like it would be the dream job to get into commentary on a full-time basis because while I was doing bits and pieces whilst I worked in Hobart a few shield games a um, bit of ING cup that kind of thing and hockey and, and footy in the winter as well I had to balance it off with my role as a news journalist so I, was, I wasn't actually able to it wasn't my profession to be a broadcaster so this was a change in direction there but yeah I had a young child like our oldest boy Harry who's about to turn 11 which is absolutely crazy um he was 11 months old at that time so uh, my wife Nell was yeah she's such a, an awesome support she's moved twice from really good jobs for me um to pursue my dream and yeah, we moved to Queensland and it was a bit of a whirlwind, but we settled in well and enjoyed it there. Had to call an awful lot of rugby league from a base that was zero. So I spent was a that, year learning how to was do that. that. In, was that intimidating or was it um, invigorating knowing that you were doing that from sort of a very low base and, and coming into essentially the national broadcaster? Um, how were you suited to doing that from a personal oh, level? super intimidating because it's, you know, we're so serious about our footy down here and any Anyone who either, you know, one word of incorrect lingo is enough for someone to know you're an imposter. And that was my fear with rugby league, that I wouldn't understand the history of the game well enough or the context of things that happened in a game or even the intrinsic um, nature of some of the, the rules, the nitty gritties of why things happen in the game. So I basically spent a year on the sideline um, doing a boundary riders type of role, but I'd take a notepad and sit there and Every time I didn't understand something, I'd write it down on my notepad. I'd listen to the commentary, of course, because it was part of the broadcast, and then just sit in the car and, and pepper Quentin Hull with questions about why did this happen in the game? This player did this. Why did the referee do that? Um, and we would talk it out. And it honestly was like studying a, a new language. So after a year, I called my first game, and I still vividly remember it was at Redcliffe. It was a Queensland Cup game. The Redcliffe Dolphins were playing in, and I was so keen to see the players to remember you memorize the numbers but you don't know who they are until you see them so i needed that warm-up to take a look at them and unfortunately both teams warmed up on the ground behind the main ground so the first time i saw them that day was when they ran out and i, I was panicking it was it was stressful because i thought like people would realize that i you know was it what they call a mexican a southerner who'd, who'd come up there and didn't really understand the game but we're all experts experts around state of origin time, though, Albie. Absolutely. That was my only experience, mate, of 
going along to the pub with a few mates to see if there'd be, you know, an all-in brawl and having a laugh and not really understanding anything other than the scoreline at the end of the game. So it was a challenge, definitely. But you, you probably had good, um, you probably had good uh, uh, experience in sort of going, you know, with short notice, given your your sports reporting, what you mentioned earlier on, and sort of not knowing much, and then that that would have again held you in good stead with the Olympics. You did the Olympics in Rio and probably called a few. Um, a few uh, sports that you weren't too familiar with? Yeah, definitely, mate. And, and it was that rugby league experience of learning the language of a sport and, yeah, being able to fly by the seat of your pants a little bit that helped there. I, in Rio, we the ABC used to send everyone to the Olympic Games. Sadly, we're not even covering the Olympic Games anymore. We haven't bought the rights to do it. It's, it's been deemed as too expensive. But when I went to Rio, three commentators went. Previously, they used to send the entire team. So you'd have a, someone at the track cycling someone at the athletics someone at the swimming there'd be people everywhere covering everything but Jared Waitley called the swimming Quentin Hull called the athletics and I called whatever was going so I was basically told I asked what sports I'd be doing and they said well if someone's going to win a medal we might need you to do taekwondo but if someone's going to win a medal in triathlon we might need that as well so that was a lot of work I mean it's all in the preparation I rang every single sport and had a chat to to the people there about who was a genuine medal chance and if it felt like there was a medal chance in a particular sport I'd study up the rules and learn a little bit of the language around it but there were still occasions um, we were going for a an equestrian medal in the team's eventing and I knew absolutely nothing about equestrian I had to call the show jumping we were leading the team's eventing coming into the show jumping phase and Chris Burton was uh, the Australian rider who was competing for gold um, to win the team gold in the show jumping and I had about 15 minutes preparation I reckon to learn how to call show jumping and it's still one of the most fun <laughs> things I've ever done how'd it go once you knew what the jumps were I'd had to I looked at the course and then I, I quickly went googled like what the jumps were called there are oxes ascending oxes that go up and spreads and water spreads and all these different things and i think it went okay but i'm not certain you've listened you've listened back to it and uh, yeah it wasn't a train wreck and i really enjoyed doing it because there's tension when as funny as it sounds when when someone's going over those jumps and there are penalty points for every rail that gets knocked down you can really build tension in the call and it was only very late that chris burton dropped a couple of rails so he was looking like like he was about to win gold for Australia. And I think maybe at the second last spread, he dropped a couple of rails. They ended up getting bronze, but it was a really fun experience to have as much as I'd never, ever thought for a second I would be calling equestrian an, an Olympic game. Is it? Oh, I think, they got, I think okay. they got the silver, Albie, in that time. Now, just a quick one. Sorry, Tubes. I, no, I, you cut me off. I, I jump in really quickly. The, they won the uh, the rugby sevens, the women. Did you call that? I didn't call that. Quentin Hull called that. Rugby was... I learned to call rugby league and then there was a suggestion that I might try and learn to call rugby union as well. And my attitude to that was well, if a rugby union fan goes to Lang Park to watch the Queensland Reds play the New South Wales Waratahs and they need to put the reason for the penalty up on the scoreboard for the fans who love the game are rusted on and have grown up with it. What hope in hell do I have of understanding the game? So I thought that might be a bridge too far. I'd sort of invested enough in calling rugby league and learning to do it combined with doing AFL. You don't want to spread your yourself too thin so I ha I did call rugby sevens at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and it was tough just trying to work out who got the penalty and why it's a bit more clear cut to me having done more rugby league but rugby union I reckon would be a serious challenge you're listening to way out on the wing with Wildus and I'm Worm with thanks to Van Diemen Brewing your local beer this footy season so once once you've 
once you've set yourself up in Queensland, you're calling all these different sports, Albie, you've gone over to Rio. Tell me about how you came back to Melbourne because we, we're a footy podcast. We seem to be talking about taekwondo and show jumping and stuff. But, but we're sport lovers. We're sport lovers. And you you notice how he said we? We. He's jumped on, I'm on, board. I'm on board. He's a co-host but, now. But, and I think, I think one thing that I'm, I'm picking up on your personality, Albie, that I probably didn't know before is you have an incredible memory, incredibly able to remember things that you've done in the past but also it must be challenging to to have these new sports that you're going to call but the, the your memory is is a strong one is that something that you've picked up about yourself over the journey i reckon my, most blokes have got a fairly selective memory tube so i think we tend to remember things that we're interested in so if it was statistics in cricket for example or batting averages or player numbers in football absolutely no worries at all if it was remembering to do a basic domestic task around the house or I'd go to the supermarket and forget what I was meant to get that kind of stuff I'm yeah borderline dementia but when it comes to footy and that kind of thing I've always had a good memory for faces and I think that definitely helps with my footy calling um, most people would assume that you rely on the numbers a lot in the game I don't rely on the numbers at all because you so often you don't actually see them I do learn the numbers and when you do AFL games you already know most of them anyway, but I'll use the numbers in the warm-up just to have a look at a few players. So if it's North Melbourne, I'll look at Will Powell or Tom Powell or Will Phillips and some of those guys that haven't played a lot of games. Most of them, you know who they are, but so often you won't see a number and I think you can tell with callers when they are number reliant because they go searching for the player a lot. So I tend to go, and it's, it's a practice thing. You'll remember that a certain player has a bit of, strapping on their wrist or on their shoulder or they wear ASICS boots or little things like that. You might see a trailing leg in a pack that is enough for you to identify that it was Cunnington who shot the ball out underneath the pack of four players. So the definitely, I think, yeah. And, and I'm amazed at race callers as well, which is completely different again, the way they can learn colours. And I think that would be really hard for them when they first started doing it. But I know Matt Hill a bit, and I've talked to him about his race calling. He can learn the field in between races and then call it. And you think of the pressure on him to get it right with so much money invested on every race that he calls and the nation watching. That That's an unbelievable skill. So I think the the brain is capable of remembering things very easily if you train it to. And I do enough footy now that I've got better at remembering names of players and, and that sort of thing. It's when you do VFL or I'm going to be doing the hockey at the Olympics for, for seven. So I've got a lot of names that I wouldn't ordinarily engage with to learn there. So that's challenging, but it gets a bit easier the more you do it. Now in, oh, what was it, early 2018, you thrust into the cricket landscape with the with the exit of Jared Waitley from the ABC, um, which would have come naturally to you, that cr- cricket commentary and stuff. Do you have a preference um, for commentary, whether it be cricket or footy? I, I honestly, I never ever thought it would be cricket, but it, it has become cricket. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with football, and that's all I wanted to call. And I absolutely loved every facet of the game and everything that accompanied it. But there's something so special about cricket, and maybe it's the prestige of calling cricket on the ABC. To me, that was always like the pinnacle of broadcasting. If you got to do Test match cricket on the ABC, so I've done a few tests prior to Jared leaving, and then. And it was during an Ashes series when he left. So I got a, a call up to do the last test of that series in 2017 at the SCG. And it's it's just such a great... Um, you think about what we do in summer. Cricket's such a key part of it on the ABC. Wherever you go, whether you're on that long drive in the holidays or you're at the beach or whatever you're doing, the cricket's on. And such a conversational thing. I love getting the stories out of the past players who've got brilliant experience in the game but also so many ripping anecdotes and I love the pace of cricket it's got a lovely rise and fall and 
yeah, it's a, I really enjoy doing the cricket, probably more than I'd, I'd imagined I ever would. So if I was to state a preference, as much as I do far more football, it probably is doing cricket at the moment. Do you have moments in the commentary box where you sit back and um, rather than commentating the game, you're actually watching the game for be it only 30, 40 seconds or whatever and realise what you're doing and sort of step out of the bubble for a brief moment and, and recognise what's going on a and, and, bit, and, yeah. and enjoy that moment? It's funny, mate, to be honest. When I watch football at home, there's something in my head that is still calling the game in my head when I'm watching it. So it's IDing players. Maybe it's a, a thing. You do it because you you know that you're going to be calling that team in a week or two or whatever it is. So you, you're almost watching it not like – yeah, it's, it's a strange does that, thing. Does that take it. away the enjoyment of the game to a degree or not? Yeah, you're sort of analysing the way the game's being broadcast more than actually enjoying the game. I think there are when the game's really on, you you get sucked into it, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, has it diminished my enjoyment? I think it. I was a very passionate Carlton supporter when I was a kid, but I would say now that I I barrack for the most interesting outcome in a game, the the kind of outcome that's going to keep the most people listening. So I'm off you, I'm off you, Albie. I'm off you. I'm, I'm yeah, officially off you, Albie. Yeah, I'm off you. I'm going to find it very difficult <laughs> if Tasmania gets a team in the AFL. I'll, I'll be like Eddie Maguire on steroids calling Collingwood. So <laughs> we're gonna, that's we're, going to be tough. We're going to get to that very, very soon. But just quickly, I saw you interviewed Malcolm Turnbull at the cricket once. That would have been um, <laughs> that would have been interesting. Who, Apart from yeah. Malcolm as the PM at the time, who are some other people who you, you know, you You've got the call up. You're like, oh, Albie, can you go interview this person? You're like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, well, it's, you get such short notice with that. It's like, oh, the Prime Minister can come into the box today and it just so happens that he's coming in when you're on air. So you're thinking, right. And then they're quite prescriptive with what you can and can't ask the, the Prime Minister. So in the case of Malcolm Turnbull, I don't think he's particularly cricket savvy. So the, the request came through not to really ask him anything about cricket, which I found a difficult proposition given we were at the SCG at a cricket match and the Prime Minister was coming in to have a chat to us on the cricket coverage and we were supposedly foreign, not to foreign talk to poli- about cricket. Foreign policy probably wasn't your strong point either, mate. Budgets. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> very true. I didn't exactly study political science nor have a great interest in it, lad. So, no, that... He, he was certainly one. Um, Julia Gillard, I remember chatting to at the footy one night when they opened um, the lights at Cadinia Park that night that Gold Coast and, and Geelong played down there. So every now and then you get thrust into a random situation. But the Olympic experience um, presented the opportunity to chat to some terrific people as well. So Paddy Mills and Matty Delavadova and those kind of guys at the basketball where I'd literally jump off a bus and run into the mix zone five minutes after the game had finished, not really having seen anything and have a chat to them and just try and wing a conversation that would show at least ask generic questions and get some decent answers out of them that they could feed into the coverage later on. So, yeah, you do get to interview some some good people. I love that when you get to interview great Tasmanians who've done really well on the sporting stage as well. Um, so Tim Payne, what a, what a great example of that. And he is a treat to speak to. I always thought Ricky Ponting was one of the best interviews you could do. He would always give you something. Um, you listen to a Michael Clark or some others, they get asked a question. It's a very generic sort of structured answer. Ricky Ponting would always give you his honest thoughts on the game. So yeah, I, I do. What, what about, what about interviewing but, the great Tazzies? What about those that haven't given much back? You can name yeah, names on here. Of those. Um, off the top of my head, I'm, no one overly springs to mind, but I would say as a in general, as a general rule, those that are more linked to the modern game are so media trained that they almost have the life suffocated out of them. So you look at a Jack Rewald, he's so refreshing because he's a natural 
he'll have a joke. He'll say what he thinks. He backs himself. Um, he's not fearful of any repercussions if he doesn't say the right thing. I think a number of footballers these days, unfortunately, have been so micromanaged when it comes to media and staying on message that they don't really get the opportunity to express themselves. And if you go back um, in previous generations, it was completely different. People worked, people said what they thought. There were larrikins in the game. It's a, but when you think about it, it's a pretty suffocating existence that some of our sports people live these days in the age of social media and the 24-hour the news cycle as well. I'm not sure it would be as fun now as perhaps it was when people like Mark McClure and guys like that that I work with were, were living. In fact, I can guarantee it wasn't uh, based on some of the stories uh, he's told me about what they used to get up to. Uh, unlike the three of us, Albie, I think they've done, they do a fair bit of media training before they start so um they're very very vanilla and we're, very we're trained we're just not trained in media we're trained in can you pass me another beer one yeah we can do that we can do that now now Albie, this, this is coming from a brewery this it, podcast that's absolutely <laughs> mate well, where else would we want to put it yeah, well, I'm just wondering why this had to be done distantly, why I wasn't invited to actually come and be there in the flesh. That well, you're more than well, welcome, mate. Let us know when you're here. We'll <laughs> tube you, will vacate the seat. <laughs> you, you, and I'll go over, um, you and I'll go over, hit up at Barnboogle, and then we'll come down and um, get get you on the podcast, mate. Sounds good. Perfect. Grandstand brew. Now, um, you said you love interviewing the, uh, the locals and you're covering the hockey, so that works well with... Uh, Eddie Ockenden being uh, selected again, so you'll be able to interview him. He's a ripper, um, champion. But those that you've interviewed, those that you've worked alongside, um, you know, Bruce, Dennis Cometti, Jim Maxwell, Sonal Gavaskar, Kerry O'Keefe, um, one of the favourites, Quinton Hull. You mentioned Tim Lane. Wh- who's um, who's taught you the most uh, in what? in what you do who's giving you the biggest lessons <laughs> the, yeah the great, great question that is it sort of goes in stages worm so when i first went to brisbane quentin hull was brilliant his understanding of the structures of a broadcast and he talks about a tree and you know you got to nail the trunk of the tree and then the branches and then the leaves and all the frilly stuff comes later but you've got to nail the basics first so he taught me so much about broadcasting and basically taught me to call rugby league with the help of a couple of others as well so he was brilliant and then Jared Waitley was very helpful to me um, calling footy in Melbourne as well just drilling down on the storyline in a game and really bringing that to the fore and giving meaning to what you called so not just describing someone calling a goal but giving that little bit extra and and that's something I still try to work on now I think what separates the good callers from the very best callers is their capacity to nail a big moment and do it on the fly and come out with something that adds to a, a very significant moment and captures it in a game. So that's the that's the great skill of the very best callers and um, I work hard to try and emulate some of those guys. But Tim Lane, I listened to as a kid, I actually have never worked with Tim Lane as much as I would kill to call a game of footy with him or do some cricket cricket with him as well. He was part of my childhood listening to him and obviously a Northwest Coaster as well. And I think one of the greatest, if not the greatest broadcasters that Australia's ever produced Um Drew Morfitt was an absolute weapon to work with, such a, a warm, amusing guy who, again, took me back to my childhood, but such a great sense of humour. Um, he is the he would light up a room wherever he went and just a great raconteur, so many ripping stories, bloody good broadcaster, terrific voice. So I love Drew. Along the way, yeah, Jim Maxwell was just fantastic. You listen to the way he uses his voice to convey and... and um, pique the interest of a listener by little changes in his tone of voice and his knowledge of cricket is absolutely unbelievable so 
Don't forget to jump over and like, subscribe and listen to all the podcasts from the Way Out in the Wing catalogue. You won't be disappointed. Back to Albie. Mate, the boys are um, the boys stirred me up when I asked that question because they think I'm being a bit too serious and feels like I'm auditioning <laughs> for something. So I'm, we're going to move on to what we want to talk about and it started with what? my favourite show. What we want to talk about, not what Albie wants to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wherever um, you want to go, boys. We're going to go to Tassie Footy and we saw well, you on... Weren't we um, going to go to Surreal about 2am? Mykonos. 2001. <laughs> No, oh, we, Albie uh, told that was vetoed off this conversation. No, we're going to go to Tassie Footy, and we saw you on Offsiders, which is one of the great TV shows, talking very, very passionately about Tassie Footy and about our mate Tony and um, what he came out and did and, and said and, you know, a bit to the point. What Give us a, a summary of where you're at and where you think we're at because it's a very, very hot issue at the moment. Tassie footy, and I think we've got to build on this momentum while we've got it. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I'm not someone who likes to be overly opinionated. I always feel like the role of a commentator is to steer the conversation through the experts who are the people who played the game. If it's footy, it's it's your experts who are premiership players. If it's cricket, it's those that have played test cricket. It's not about my opinion. But when it comes to Tassie footy, I feel so passionate about it that I'm prepared to nail my colours to the mast on it. And it feels like a critical juncture to me at the moment. If it does doesn't happen now it never happens because Tasmania has never presented a case like this that ticked off every single facet that was required to demonstrate the state should have a team there was the sentimental argument and the heritage and history argument which is completely valid and should have been enough but wasn't and then it turned into a need for a business case to cut through and now we've got the most credible people who've put together this business case it stacks up and you add that into the compelling element which was the history of the game in Tasmania and the legends that we've created and contributed as a heartland footy state if it doesn't get up with the weight of the bid that we have put in front of them now I just can't see it happening. So that's why I would encourage everyone in Tassie who feels passionate about it to not worry about it. Just just say what how you feel. Speak about it. Um, I don't want to be someone who comes across as moaning and groaning about the fact there's no Tasmanian team, but I feel so strongly about it. I don't care what people think. I just want to see it happen. I think Tasmania deserves it. And we're such a proud footy state. We should never have been overlooked and preference given to, to markets that had not necessarily a, a big future. Um, it's a speculative thing, putting football teams in expanding markets. Tasmania was a heartland. It was a sure thing. And yeah, footy is a business, but it's also a game. And at the root of the game is is the fans and, and the people who have contributed so much. And I, I think per capita, there are a few that have contributed more than Tasmania. Do you have a personal idea or opinion, I guess, Albie, on how that Tasmanian team might be structured as far as development goes because we know that there's a couple of things up in the air with the TSL down here we've got the regional leagues that are looking reasonably strong do you think there's a there's an argument to get Tassie back into the VFL and structure it that way for for that pathway to continue for those players that are looking to develop their skills better and, and hopeful of getting into the AFL or do you have an idea around that? I would have loved to have seen the VFL continue and, it, and the way it fell off a cliff in the way that it did the, the couple of years that Darren Creswell was at the helm of the club. I mean Tasmania had made a preliminary final and I remember Scott Wade saying uh, the year afterwards that Tassie would never win a premiership as an unaligned club and then there was the failed the North semi-alignment Melbourne. with North Melbourne 
that took away, I think, the heart and soul of the Tasmanian team, which was the fact that it was us against them and we were able to tap into that so successfully. So I was disappointed when that fell away. But I think Tasmania has had ridiculous hurdles put in front of it to demonstrate the case for a Tasmanian team. And part of that was a year or two ago when it was suggested that a VFL team returning would be part of Tassie demonstrating it was capable. We did that before. Tasmania got 12,000 people to watch a second-tier football match. Um, we were getting massive crowds to watch the Devils play. There's absolutely no doubt that when you give Tasmanians their own team, they'll go. That was at the VFL level. Can you imagine what that would be at the AFL level? So it's the same with talk about stadiums on roofs and the need for the government to put in $40 million. It's all, all these caveats that are put on a Tasmanian team that would be never placed on any other team coming into the competition. So well, The Gold Coast have been in the comp now for 10 years and they got 12000 total members at this point in time so if we can't do that in a month i'd be surprised yeah they need, and i think the other thing that people need to think about is once once there's some surety around this give tasmania a framework and no one's suggesting tasmania comes in next season of course we're in a pandemic and the finances of the game have been affected very badly as a result of that but give a framework and a pathway of a, even if it's five to ten years just give Tasmania something to work with. And once Tasmanians can see that that is going to come to fruition, they will be all over it. Absolutely all over it. I've no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm 100% with you, Albie. And, and, and even though I'm a passionate blues man, I, I know for a fact, and these boys talked about it on the podcast last week, about how if Carlton came down to play the Tassie Devils, say, at, at Boot Park down in Hobart, I would definitely go along, of course. But either way... Whatever side won, I'd walk out a winner. And I think that's the one thing that Tassie wants as a footy state is something to unite behind that actually means something. So we've got some buy-in. And I just yeah, said, absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't think, I just, I, I think that, like you say, they're putting all these caveats on us as a state. But uh, I, I, I don't, I can't see how it doesn't work if we have structure from a developmental pathway for our, our young kids, male and female, going through the Devils program in the NAB League into a VFL side and then hopeful of getting a, a, a Tassie side in the AFL. I, I can't see it not working. Yeah, I, I think I don't think the VFL side is ne necessarily a precursor to the AFL side. I understand that your backyard's got to be in good shape, but Tasmania's backyard has been let go to such an extent and there's been a complete lack of funding. You can't bridge the gap quickly enough. And to me, the AFL team is the beacon that puts eyes back on football in Tasmania and gives people something to aspire to, something to connect with. And it gives the game the rightful place it has again, the place that it had when we were all kids, as the dominant winter sport in the state. That is seriously under threat. I don't think there's any any doubt about it. And when you look at those key age groups and the Mercury's, I think, done an awesome job of pushing the Tassie case. But they talk about the numbers around participation in that critical age bracket of, of around 13 to 18-year-old males. They're, they're falling away big time. So we need a presence down there. You think about Tasmania, too, with the Hobart Hurricanes, the way people have got behind the Hobart Hurricanes. That is domestic cricket. It's not the top level of cricket. AFL would be completely different. I just think it would be such a unifying thing for the state. And when I was a kid, there were kids who hadn't been to Hobart before who grew up in Penguin with me. But globalisation has opened up the world. You know, Tasmania is not this tiny state of people who don't leave their backyard anymore and live on the farm. And I just think we shouldn't underestimate what Tasmanians can do, what they're capable of, because 
Tasmanians are highly capable. They can make things happen. They can succeed. And our sporting teams as well have proven over the years that they're a force to be reckoned with. Well, at the risk of this conversation going through to 2, 3, 4 a.m. and and me missing the Tour de France, uh, one for you, what's next for Alistair Nicholson? So Worms told me a little snippet earlier this evening... I did. Now, beyond my list of things, 100 things I need to do before I die is write a book. Now, ah. we hear that you've got a little book coming out, a picture book, cricket. Yes. Have you got us, yeah. a, got us a scoop on that? I do. So, it went it went to the printer on Friday, last Friday. So, a um, bit of, yeah, back and forth with Alan and Unwin are publishing the book. It's a, I used to write cricket books when I was a kid in primary school, rhyming cricket books, and I'm sure they were terrible, but... Um, I just loved the reading experience with my own you boys. Didn't, you and didn't used to sell them to kids in grades below you or anything, <laughs> did you? <laughs> we didn't do that. There were other ways of, and means of uh, making a dollar back in those days, Wilders. But oh, you do tell. Do tell. There. <laughs> yeah. No, so I've got a cricket book coming out. It's called Cricket, I Just Love It. And it's um, essentially 12 verses told through the eyes of a different child while they love the game and, and basically shows the love for the game and that it's a game for everyone and had a lot of fun with it. So I've tried to tap into the nostalgic elements, um, parents remembering back playing cricket when they were kids, things being so, broken, so dogs it, nicking so off with balls. So it's targeted at us 40-year-old parents reading to our younger generation kids is that right it's got that in it so i want the parents to enjoy reading it but it's pitched to kids sort of from ages four to seven please worms. So please tell me to a good please, bookstore near you please tell me boonie's trip to london features <laughs> <laughs> a subtle reference to 52 cans in there somewhere is it yeah. is it is it part of a series that it's not going to be a one-off or anything I'm well, selling. I'm, a, I'm sowing the seed here. I'm a debut writer, so um, if it if it's any good and Alan and Unwin's happy enough, there's scope to do more. Hopefully, so our I'm exact attitude, our exact attitude with this podcast. <laughs> it's all about the feedback, mate. But it, you know, radio and TV, you do you call a moment in a game, it's gone. A book is there forever. So the idea that even one kid or one family would have a book that I wrote on their shelf and we enjoy the reading experience and a book about cricket, that's a um, that's a buzz for me. Well, so Albie, um, we, we've all got kids down here, so send us down a copy, mate, or we'll tell us where to go. Bo- tell us where to go yeah, buy we'll, it from. We'll support you. We'll and, send uh, some beer we'll, to Albie, and you might send us okay, a book. And we'll uh, we'll get the review out, and we'll um, we'll get it pumped up on the podcast, mate. So now, part of our final wrap up of our interviews is a little bit of Wilder's time. It's called Junk Time. He's yep. got uh, five questions for you that he's going to fire away. Very short <laughs> answers needed, but I'm going to throw you to Wilder's. Thanks for your time. It's been awesome. Love chatting with you. Um, didn't get to go into f- your fly fishing or your golf. What you, what's your handicap, quickly? Uh, I'm off four at the moment, mate. So. Yeah, well, you're well above, well below me is in better. But uh, we'll have a game when you're down next, mate. Here's, here's Wilders. Thanks for your time. Radio, boys. Dark the clock. Whatever comes, uh, whatever comes first oh, to your brain. Here we go. Radio. The best time of the day is morning, noon, or night. Night. What confuses you? Oh, um, what confuses me? Uh, vaccination. Would you rather work eight hours standing or ten hours sitting? Eight hours standing. What new technology will transform the future? Flying vehicles. Ooh. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, humble, loyal, rascalish. Oh, I like that. <laughs> And one final one, who would you like us to speak with next and can you facilitate that? Ah, I like it. I like it. Who would you go to next? Well, either a legend of Tassie footy 
a legend of Tassie footy or a Brendan Gale's a great ambassador for Tassie oh, yeah. footy. Oh, yeah. I think very should, passionate. Tassie. Have you got us? Have you got us connections? On the phone. Uh, potentially. Yeah, I think, I think we could. We'll take that. We'll take that one offline. Something. I love this. He's going with another Maris boy. Smart. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Stick to the northwest. I love it. Albie, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. We look forward to listening to your dulcet tones over the course of the rest of the winter and into the Olympics. And um, good luck over there. Are you do you are going over, or are you doing it no, remotely? No, all done, all done out of Melbourne for me. So Radio. that's yeah, boy. It's been a pleasure. Love the podcast. Great to chat with you all, and uh, look forward to having a nice, refreshing one with well, you in the brewery at some point. It's good to have you as a member of the Wing family, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Albie. Thanks for your time, mate.